Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So, do you ever get kind of overwhelmed by the needs in this world? Um, you know, with the 24-hour news cycle, it's, it seems like with all the cable news programs, something happens in a remote part of the world that we would never even know of, never even think of, but all of a sudden, it's brought into our living room. And it seems like you just, I, I, after a while, you don't want to watch the news because it just seems like it just gets overwhelming. Just more and more things. There's famines, there's um, droughts, there's uh, floods, tsunamis, earthquakes. And then, and then you bring it down even into your own circle of friends. And, and you've got friends who are, who are going through difficult times. Um, a divorce happens, a separation. Uh, someone loses a job or gets a, 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 a diagnosis of cancer. And, and, and you feel just so overwhelmed by it all. And, and you feel like there's, you, wish you, you wish you could do something, but you don't know what to do. Or you think to yourself, yeah, I, if I, even if I did something, it wouldn't make that much of a difference. And so what happens is because of the overload and the overwhelming of it all, we just do nothing. And that's not an option. That is not an option for Christ followers. Because we are called to do something. We are called to bring His kingdom to this world. We're part of that bringing a little bit of up there, down here. That, that's part of our assignment. And we know that because that's what Jesus did with His disciples. He taught them. He trained them. He didn't, just, he didn't recruit 12 guys to come and watch Him do all this stuff. He recruited them and called them so He could mentor them, so He could teach them, so He could train them, so that they could carry on his message and his ministry after he was gone. And, and that same calling is upon us now 2,000 years later. We are to be, be kingdom bringers. And that's when we're talking about changing the way people view the church. That's what we're talking about, that the church is the people. And to change the way people see the church means changing us. Because we've got this message of grace. And that message of grace is incredibly powerful. It's about life change. It's about God doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And because of what he has done, we now have this new life through him. That Jesus did it all for us. And now just by trusting in him and what he's already done for us, we can live new lives. That is a powerful message. And I think the church is most appealing. The church is most, um, most uh, powerful when that message of grace is clear. And I think on top of that, the message of grace becomes clearer when it is seen through our actions. And the church is not only more appealing when the message is clear, it is also more effective and powerful when acts of grace are happening. Because that's what changes the way people view the church. Changes the way people view Christianity. Changes the way people view Christians. When we make these changes. And we are called to be kingdom bringers. And in the same way that Jesus spent three years training his 12 to carry on that message. Now it's our turn. And there's some things about the way that Jesus trained his disciples. That are great lessons for them and great lessons for us. And we're going to look at one of them this morning. It's found in Luke chapter 9. So if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Or if you have a, you know, your smartphone or your iPad or something like that. Feel free to... Uh, to use that, um, just don't pretend like you're reading the scripture and actually texting your friends back home, okay? <laughs> Luke 9, beginning in verse 10. It says, then he, <clears throat> then he took them, he being Jesus, them being the disciples. He took them with him and withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon... The twelve came to him and said, 
send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. They replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buy food for all this crowd because about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. And taking the loaves, the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Jesus directly involved. 12 disciples in this miracle. This, by the way, is the only miracle that's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, every one of them recorded, and it's the only one that, has a, that every one of the Gospels recorded. This is a very important event. It's an important event because this was part of the training of the 12. This is part of the lessons they needed to learn, part of the lessons that we need to learn. And, and it's recorded in all, all four Gospels because it's a very, very important, it's a, it's a, it's a critical event. It is the only miracle also that all 12 participated in. I know Peter walked on water, but that was only one. The 11, other 11 stayed in the boat and watched it all happen, okay? This one, every one of them got involved because he was training them. He was preparing them because they were to carry on this mission and this message long after he had moved on. And the lessons that they had to learn that day are the same lessons that we need to learn that day. And it's how to participate in what God is doing in this world. How to be part of what bringing up there down here, how to be kingdom bringers into this world. And it has to do with how we respond to the needs around us. And so the things that they had to learn, we need to learn. I want to talk about that a little bit more, kind of unpack that a little bit this morning. I think one of the first things that needs to happen is we need to learn to recognize possibilities. We need to learn to recognize possibilities in the problems. Luke kind of sets the stage for the whole thing. Now, if you read the context, what has happened is Jesus has just sent out the 12 for the very first time, two by two, to take that message kind of out on their own without him. And they've come back. And the reason he's kind of pulling them aside is now that they've come back, this is kind of a debrief time. How did it go? What did you learn? How did it happen? Um, And it's also kind of a time for rest. So he's, he's kind of pulled them back, says they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. There's the problem. They thought... This is our chance to get away. This is our chance to get some rest. This is the chance for us to kind of have some alone time with Jesus now and tell him about all the things that we experienced and all the things that we were able to do, how, how we were able to take the message. This is our time with Jesus. And the problem is the crowds found out about it. And not only did they learn about it, they followed him. And not only did that, that, that happen, but he welcomed them. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, this is our time. <laughs> this is, we were supposed to just get around just with the 12, 13 of us. This is supposed to be us. And now you're not only to welcome them, but he speaks to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. That Jesus continued to minister to people. Things don't go according to plan. They're thinking this is their chance to get away. And he's saying, no, this is another chance to minister. And it's very easy. And here's kind of one of the first things. It's very easy to see people as problems, especially people in need. And you probably know some people. You probably have some people in your life right now who are in a time of need might be financial, it might be emotional, it might be spiritual, it might be whatever. But there's somebody in your life that right now is going through something and they need some help. And for you, it feels like a bother. 
It's a problem. It's an imposition. And it's real easy to feel that way sometimes. But he says, listen, you got to see beyond the problems and look for the possibilities. And I'm not talking about just like positive thinking, you know, the positive PMA, positive mental attitude. I think that's what it's called. You know, just everything's going to be okay. No, he says, what it, what it has to do with is looking for what God might want to do in the situation. That's what I mean by looking for the possibilities in the problem. It's looking to see what might God have in mind here. Disciples are expecting this to be their time. But instead, Jesus has created a problem. And by the way, that's very often the way that God works in our lives. In fact, that's, that's really the way we learn anyway. Any teacher, and we've got a lot of teachers in our church family, any teacher will tell you, the way that you know if your students are truly learning and growing is you give them problems. You give them a test. That, that, that's how you know. That's how you know if they're learning. That's how you know if they're growing. Um, you know, I could get all the, I'd like to have all the answers. Because I could get all the answers. I could ace the test, but I'll never learn anything. Jesus presents them with a problem. We've got 5,000 people here. And, and it's getting late. And their answer, their answer is send the crowd away so that we, they can go to the surrounding villages in the countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place here. And I'm sure they're thinking they're very, being very considerate. I'm sure they're thinking they're being very compassionate because there's this large group of people and this is a very remote place and there's no place to, to sit and there's, there's no place to stay. There's no food to eat here. So it's getting late. Lord, let them go. Dismiss them. Just let them go so they can go and take care of whatever they need to take care of. And that's real easy to do. It's just like, you know, well, I'll, you know, go ahead. Be warm and well fed. But Jesus had something else in mind. They never considered this, but Jesus wanted them to do something. And that's the second thing. Be willing to accept some personal responsibility. Nothing changes in this world until somebody does something. It does not change. Things will continue to be the way that they are unless somebody does something. Back in the 1800s, a couple, a Christian couple, the Booths, William and Catherine Booth looked around and saw there were so, there's such a problem with alcohol and morphine addiction. And they went into the, the, the rougher parts of town and saw people who were in need, people who were addicted, people who were controlled by substance abuse. And they decided somebody needs to do something about it. And the problem was that those kinds of people would not be welcome in, in the, the well-respected churches of their day. So what they did was they started an army called the Salvation Army. And their goal was to go out and to reach the people that nobody else was reaching. To go out and physically help those who needed physical help. People who would not be welcomed, not be accepted, not would even be allowed in some of the more respectable churches of their day. So they said, we can't wait for them to come to us. They'll never come. They went there. And now hundreds of years later, that is a worldwide mission and force such good in this world because one couple decided to do something. They took personal responsibility. And, and that's the deal. It could very well be that God has brought that person into your life, that situation into your life, those group of friends into your life because he wants you to do something and you've got to take the personal responsibility. So often I hear people say things like, somebody ought to do something about that. Maybe 
just maybe the somebody is you. Maybe the somebody is me. If you see a need, stop for a moment and consider how you might be able to be a part of the solution. Take some personal responsibility. Now, I know that can be overwhelming because you probably have more than one person in your life that is going through a difficult time right now. You might have more than one person in your life that, that, that is having difficulty, that, that it has need. And you can say, how can I do that? I can't, I can't help everybody. And what we tend to do is we tend to think, you know, we, we, we just can't help everybody, so we help nobody. And it goes all the way back to what we learned when we were growing up. Then maybe you heard this sentence in your household where you'd ask your mom for something. You'd say, oh, you know, can I, can I have one of those? Can I please have that? There's like one of them. Can I please have that? And your mom would say something along the lines of, no, I can't give you that because I give, if I give it to you, then I have to give it to everyone. You know, please, please, can I go? Please, can I go? No, no, I can't let you go because if I let you go, then I have to let everyone go. If I let you do it, I've got to let everyone do it. And I know what you thought at the time because you thought the same thing I thought at the time. No, you don't. <laughs> I'll never tell anybody. You don't have to tell anybody. You don't have to let anybody else know you did it for me. It's okay. It doesn't have to be fair. And I, and I learned a sentence, and I heard this from um, Andy Stanley. And I love it, and I've just kind of taken it to heart. And it goes like this. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Uh, that is so good. I wrote it down. And I thought, this, that's, that's the key. Because sometimes we think we can't do it for everyone, so we do it for nobody. And he says, you don't have to do it for everybody, but you can do it for one. So that you might want to write this down. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. The first time I went to Uganda, I was just blown away by the need there. Just incredible need. Orphans from the AIDS epidemic, um, terrible drinking water. I just, it was just overwhelming to me. And I, and I, I, just, I didn't know, know, even know where to start, but I decided we're going to adopt at least one child. And so we did. We adopted our first child. We sponsored our first child. And I thought, okay, well, I can do that. I can't take care of everybody. I can do that. And then the second time I went, I, we sponsored another child. And the third time I went, now we've got four kids. And, and <laughs> they were sponsoring. But here's what happened. And Betty shared this story a little bit um, when we did our uh, Uganda mission report because she got, for the first time, to meet the very first child that we sponsored. When he got to the age of about 12 or 13, we would get letters from him, but they were just terrible. You just, he couldn't even put a sentence together. And we began to realize that if we don't do something, his opportunities for education are quickly running out. And if we don't do something, he's never going to get any better. And by this time, you know, we'd already had three children we were sponsoring. And we couldn't do it for all of them, but we decided for him, we needed to pay the extra to put him into a boarding school. And that, that was twice what it was going to cost otherwise. But we decided we were going to do for him. We'd like to do it for all of them. What we can't, we're going to do it for him. And then he finished up his primary school, his primary education, and we started, and started to show improvement. And we decided, okay, we need to put him in secondary school. And that was twice again the cost. And we thought, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we need to do it. And Betty shared the story when we had the report. She said for the first time she got the chance to meet him. He is now a 21-year-old young man. He is now studying 
um, to be a scientist. He's studying, uh, who's taking physics, um, chemistry, and biology. One kid. But we couldn't do it for all of them. Now, now we have, but <laughs> we couldn't at the time. But we just, if we could do for one, even though we can't do for everyone, if we could just do for one of them. And that's the thing. If you just take personal responsibility, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. I think it's a powerfully, powerful thing because that's what Jesus is calling them to. And sometimes you're going to feel inadequate about it. Sometimes you're going to say, I don't know how I can do it. But if you just do it. See, John in his gospel gives us a little bit of insight. Jesus raises this whole problem. Jesus provides this whole problem for these guys. And and then John gives us a little bit of the backstory. It said that he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he wanted to involve his disciples, which comes to the third thing. Offer whatever you have for his use. Whatever it is that you have, just offer what you can. Do what you can. It will cost you something to participate in God's work in this world. It will. It's not for your comfort. It will cost you something. Did you ever wonder, maybe you've read this story before, did you, did you ever wonder why didn't Jesus just start from scratch? He could turn stones into bread. Why did he have to use their loaves and fishes? Because he wanted them to invest in this. He wanted their participation. He wanted their involvement. Their answer was, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buy food for all this crowd. Now, here's the thing. Every one of us in this room have far more than five loaves of bread and two fish. We all have something. Everyone in this room has far more than they had on that day. I don't care how difficult your living situation might be right now. You have more than five loaves of bread and two fish. You have something to offer. You have something that you can do. Every one of us in this room have that. And it's just simply making available that which we have for God to use. We've all got it. Now, here's what I'd like you to do this morning is substitute in there, instead of five loaves and two fish, what is your but I only have? Put, put, put that in there. Could make this personal. I only have so much time. I only have limited resources. See, every one of us has one of those I only have. And we think because we have so little, we can't do very much. But we have far more than, than we need and far more than God needs. If we'll make it available to Him. So I want you to put in there, what is it for you? Your time, your talents, your abilities, your resources, your money. See, every one of us has something. He just said, offer what it is that you have. Don't worry about what you don't have. Offer what you have. And it's incredibly powerful. And, and, And one of the best examples we have of that around here is our dollar club. Last December, we made this decision that we were going to start this thing called the Dollar Club. And all we did was we asked everybody who attends every Sunday morning to give a dollar per person who attends. That, that's it. Just above and beyond whatever regular giving you might do, just one dollar more. 
And that we would take that $1 times the number of people that attended that particular Sunday. And that week we would use that amount of money to help someone in need. To help a family in need. Whether they were in our church or not in our church. And we ask people, send us your nominations. Tell us somebody, if you know somebody who has need, we want to be able to help. And we made that decision. And we made it on faith because we said, even if you don't do your dollar, we're still going to give whatever it is that that attendance dictates. We're going to do this. We're committed to this. And as Larry shared earlier, over the last 10 months or so, we've helped somewhere in the neighborhood of 50 families with tens of thousands of dollars. Because everybody just gave one dollar. See, that's the way that it works. Just don't, don't worry about what you don't have. Give out of what you do. In fact, Paul took up this idea. He wrote to the Corinthian church, give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have. He says it twice. Give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. And I think far too often we give according to what we don't have. We don't have enough, so we don't give. (laughs) He says, no, 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 you have. Give in proportion to what you have. Just it's, It's that simple. Whatever you have, he says, give it. Whatever time you have. Offer it for God's use. Whatever resources you have, whatever talents you have, whatever money, whatever you have, just offer. How little it might seem to you, just offer it and see what God will do. And that goes to the last thing. Only God, allow God to do what only God can do. Because God will take whatever it is that you offer and he'll multiply it. See, the thing is, every time you say yes to God in one of those kind of situations, a little bit of the kingdom of God comes to bear on this earth. Every time you say yes to God, this world gets a little bit better. Every time you say yes to God, ministry happens. Every time you say yes to God, a little bit more of up there comes down here. Conversely, every time you say no to God, your heart gets a little bit harder. Your soul gets a little bit drier and shriveled up. And worst of all, every time you say no to God, makes it that much easier to say no to God the next time. And you spend a lifetime of no's. When you say yes, God does something with it. Allow him to do what only he can do. There is God's part to this. We can do our part, but ultimately remember, it's God's part. See, they're still thinking about what they can do. Their answer is, we only have five loaves, two fish, unless we go buy food for the crowd. That was their answer. They're still thinking about what only they can do. And you said, no, no, that will be enough. Let's just start with what you have right now. And then he does something remarkable, something incredibly remarkable. He just starts to break it up and distribute it. There's another sentence that I question actually that I was asked was kind of presented to us as I was at a a seminar and the question was this what are you doing that you could not do without the power of God is there anything that you are doing with your life with your resources that you could not do without the power of God it's another one of those sentences that have stuck with me and I ask myself that very often what am I doing that I could not do if God doesn't show up 
What risks am I taking? What, what steps of faith am I taking? What am I doing that if God doesn't show up, I'm going to fall flat on my face? It's a really good question to ask ourselves because you will never know what God can do unless you put yourself in a position where he's got to bail you out. You will never fully experience all that God can do through you unless you put yourself in those risky positions, take those steps of faith that are beyond your abilities. That's when God does his work. And you will never experience that. You will never know that if you don't put yourself in those positions, if you don't take those steps of faith. And so it's a great reminder. What he does is he takes the five loaves and the two fish and does something very simple. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. And then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Not only is this the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels, it's the only miracle that involved all 12 disciples, but it's the only miracle that goes off without any fanfare. There's no, you read through, as we've been reading through the Gospel of Luke together, you find every time Jesus preaches, people are amazed at his teaching. Every time he performs a miracle, they are amazed at, at what he has done. The people are constantly in awe and in maze, all throughout, amazed, all throughout Luke's gospel, except here, there's no amazement. And I wonder if it's because nobody really knew what God was doing behind the scenes. Maybe they thought the taco truck was parked around the corner. I don't know. The only ones who seemed to really know what happened were the disciples. And I wonder when it began to dawn on them what was going on. Was it when Jesus started to parcel it out into their, each of their own baskets? Was it as they began to distribute it and began to do their thing and, and it just kept coming and coming and coming? Was it at the very, very end when they were done serving everybody and everybody was satisfied and they still had leftovers? I don't know. But somewhere along the line, they participated in a miracle that not many other people realized. And that's the thing. When you put yourself out there, when you take that personal responsibility, when you offer what only God, when you offer God what you have and allow Him to do what only He can do, something changes in you. Your faith and your confidence in Him grows. Your ability to face other problems strengthens. These guys were chained, changed by this experience. And we know they were changed because they make sure that it's in all four Gospels. Every one of the gospel writers had to put this story in because it was life-changing for them. And now it's our turn. It's your turn. It's my turn. What will we do? Faced with all the needs all around us, faced with those people even in our own lives and our own families that are going through difficult times, what will we do with this? So this is your change the way people view the church assignment for this week. And this one's going to be a little tougher. They're gradually getting tougher. And it's this. Perform an act of compassion that's outside your comfort zone. Don't just do something that's comfortable to you. Do something that's going to stretch you out of your comfort zone where God's going to have to show up for you because that's where you're going to truly experience. See, the thing with this, this experience was this. All 12 of them participated. All 12 of them shared. And all 12 of them had leftovers. They all experienced a miracle. And I will tell you from all of my years of ministry and being a Christ follower, that there have been times that we have taken financial risks. There's times we've done things that we didn't know how it was going to work out. 
And what always happens is I end up far richer because I took the step. Not always financial return, but my life is richer. My experiences are richer. My relationships are richer. That God always gives a return on what we do. It's not a multi-level marketing. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's not just even all about finances. It's just about offering what you have, taking that personal responsibility, and then letting God do something. So that's your assignment this week. You see, God gave us His very, very best. He gave all that He could give. That's what Christ did on the cross for us. And that same Jesus who a year and a half or so earlier, broke bread and fed thousands of people. Also on his last night with the disciples, also broke bread. And this time he said, this bread is my body given for you. I'm giving you my best. I'm giving you my all. And look what happened because of it. Did you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.